0: Welcome back, folks, to another exciting episode of Humidity Matters, where we dive deep into the world of industrial humidity measurement. I'm Bruce McDuffie, your host, and I've been in the humidity measurement business for about 12 years. I've taught humidity seminars and webinars around the globe, helping people just like you make better measurements. My co-host is the one and only Steve Santoro, with a staggering 35 years of industrial humidity measurement expertise. Steve, I'm looking forward to our discussion today and also to hear your thoughts and expertise about measuring humidity. Hey, Bruce.
1: Looking forward to today's conversation, as always. Nice to chat about uh, our favorite topic.
0: The purpose of this podcast is to help you make a better measurement. And better meaning more accurate and reliable. Because when you do make a more accurate and reliable measurement, your process is more efficient and you get higher quality output. So let's dive in and discuss why humidity measurement really does matter. This is a two-part. This is part two of a two-part series where we're discussing the 10 questions that you should ask and have answers for when you're selecting a hygrometer. In part one, if you recall, we answered the first five questions. Number one was, question you should ask is, why are we measuring humidity? Or why do we need to measure it? Number two, what humidity parameter will we use and why? Number three, what is the expected range of measurement? And this could be humidity, temperature, or pressure. Number four was what level of performance will we need and why? Talking mostly about accuracy and other factors. And number five, what type of output will we need to get the measurement to a place where we can use it? So I do suggest. If you didn't listen to part one, to so go back and listen to that either before or after you listen to this one, and so you understand um, how these questions, the details about behind these questions, and why they're important, and why it's very important to go through each one, even if you're replacing an existing instrument. So what do you think, Steve? Uh, Any comments about this 10-step process in general before we jump into the details of questions 6 through 10? Well, Bruce, yeah. I
1: I mean, you've stressed the importance of this, and and we do as well. I mean, we've found that reviewing these questions in advance really results in in a better solution, a more cost-effective solution, and generally will illuminate surprises that could happen during installation or operation. So I think the more we can ask in advance, uh, the better it will be, uh, rather than trying to ask these questions after and trying to diagnose a problem that we could have averted uh, by doing this early.
0: Yeah, and I know I've seen it, and I think you've seen it too, Steve, and, and the, our engineers in the office see it, where somebody buys an instrument that measures humidity, and it's that's just not enough. There's so many other factors to get the right instrument into the right application. The steps six through 10 we're going to discuss today. Number six is what's the most practical configuration for your application? Number seven, what is the composition of the air or gas we will be measuring? Number eight, what are the installation requirements? Number nine, what are the cost versus performance issues we should consider? And number 10, you should ask, what can I expect from the manufacturer or distributor for after sales support? Our first question, again, this is number six of the 10 parts series. Steve, this one's about instrument configuration. There can be hundreds of different configurations that somebody could choose from. So how does one decide what's the most practical configuration? Well, we generally will Try
1: to find out as much as possible where the installation is going to take place do we need something that's going to be portable for spot checking would it be permanently mounted and if so uh, what does the installation look like and what mounting options do we have is it going to go on a wall what do we have access to we've also found uh, more recently uh, with the advent uh, of phones and being able to snap pictures that uh, a lot of times Sending a picture along can help in the uh, selection of the product. Uh, there's nothing better than seeing it up front. And, and sometimes mm. that in itself initiates even additional questions. So less surprises, more
0: information in advance. OK. That makes sense. Um, so basically, somebody needs to decide um, the instrument. Is it portable? Is it wall-mounted? What's the power? What's the calibration requirements? There's a lot of details that go into selecting the most uh, convenient or practical configuration. Yeah, and sometimes we find, you know, one question leads to another. So, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. OK, question number seven. What is the composition of the air or gas? I mean, come on, Steve. Air is air, right? Why should we care about what we're measuring here? Well, air, kind of a broad term, be made up of a lot of different chemicals. So we do need to know
1: a bit more about what's in that air that we're trying to measure. So humidity measurement can be a bit trickier compared to other parameters, such as temperature. Uh, Temperature sensor, the way they work, they can generally be encapsulated, and they can be protected against um, gases or corrosive agents that could be in the sample gas. Nature of the humidity sensors we talked about in the past—it it sort of needs to breathe with the air. It has to absorb and and, and desorb that uh, that sample air. So there can be things in the air that can affect the humidity sensor, its performance, its lifetime, uh, its a drifting ability to how it stays stable. So it, it is critical to know what's going to be in the sample gas, the kinds of concentrations of the gas. And also we found that not only can there be agents in the gas that can affect the sensor, uh, those can vary whether we're at ambient pressure or under pressure or under vacuum or at ambient temperature or at elevated or lower temperatures. So those will also impact the composition of the gas being sampled. And again, we wanna know about these in advance to pick the correct product that can meet those
0: requirements. So even air people are breathing can have some type of, I don't know if it's a chemical or some type of addition that can affect the sensor. It's possible.
1: Yeah. So depending upon the conditions and what's in there, uh, we could take a look at that and make some recommendations accordingly.
0: Okay. You know, now that I think about it, I recall from uh, I had an application I was working on with a person, with a company. This was years ago like everything with me, it was years ago, years ago. And I um, asked about the application. It was just a room. It was a room with nothing special. People were working there, but they wanted to measure the relative humidity. And so uh, after about a couple of couple or three months of use, they came back to me and said, hey, this thing is drifting, uh, drifting quite a bit. We compared it to our standard, and it's drifted a lot. So I'm thinking, what could cause drift? It's in a place where people work. But it turns out there was something that was used in the cleaning. I don't know if it was the carpet or the cleaning crew that came in and and cleaned the office. Whatever chemical they were using was affecting the sensor significantly. So we had to choose a different um, sensor for them, one that did uh, essentially burned off the chemical, and then it was fine. But yeah, even air can have things that you may not know about upfront, but it's good to ask about um, the measurement and what's being measured. OK, number eight is what are the installation requirements? So Steve, how important is installation to uh, to get a reliable measurement?
1: Yeah, well, it made the list, so we know it is important. So, fair enough, <laughs> the, <laughs> fair enough. The right installation uh, <laughs> installed improperly or in the wrong location can have a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sensors are made to, to actually mount in a certain orientation. You know, there's sometimes an up and a down to it, and that's important. Oh. And you need to take that into consideration. The air is designed to flow uh, in a certain direction depending upon the installation. And in a lot of clean rooms, the air is forced from the top down and vents out through the base. And having the wrong sensor in that application will actually work against the way it was designed. So knowing where to install it, and having the right one is critical. Uh, I could think of another example where uh, it, was, it was a museum, mm-hmm. and the customer installed the sensor on an interior wall. However, in the design to keep duct work as minimal as possible, they were using these, some of these interior walls as actually the ducts to run the air mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. So when they cut the hole to mount the sensor and run the wires, that sensor that's really trying to measure the ambient temperature and humidity in the space where the artwork and the people are was dramatically being influenced by the air coming in through the inside wall and that had a huge impact on the sensor Um, and it wasn't until we really got out to the site to diagnose it and look and realize what was going on some of this stuff is is highlighted in a manual about not allowing this to happen maybe blocking off those passages when you cut holes for wiring Sometimes not everybody reads the manual, and it wasn't really until you could get on site and, and see it firsthand to diagnose that problem. So again, I think these are questions we'll try to ask in advance and uh, try to take some of our experience of the problems we've seen and and highlight them because once you've been through it before, it becomes a bit more obvious to
0: suggest. Yeah, and you know, I'm thinking here as you're sharing that story that it goes back to understanding parameter that you're measuring. And you need to understand, if you're measuring relative humidity, big effect on relative humidity is temperature. So if you mount, your example is a perfect one. If you mount uh, an instrument where there's other sources of cold or heat, it can really throw off your measurement. So that's remember, folks, we'll throw this in for free. (laughs) The rule of thumb for relative humidity is as the temperature increases, your relative humidity goes down, and as your temperature decreases, your relative humidity goes up. Always remember that rule of thumb. I that, I can share a story too on that one, Steve. It's I remember years ago, um, again years ago. Here I go. The um, I had a customer. It was a PMEL, and PMEL means uh, Precision Measurement Equipment Lab, and it's a U.S. Air Force acronym. And I had it was a calibration lab and they purchased a handheld instrument, so configuration portable, and they were putting it into a chamber to measure, to confirm the settings in the chamber. So it was a long, the portable instrument had about a 12 inch uh, probe on it. And so this metrologist, you'd think he would know better, but he didn't because he wasn't that familiar with humidity. He put the probe into the chamber, which was set, I think at 40 degrees C, the room, of course, is around, I don't know, 22, 23C. And half of the probe, half of the steel is in the room and half of the steel is in the chamber. And so he didn't realize the dramatic effect that temperature difference would have across that steel. So it goes to the installation requirements. It's Is it an oxymoron that it's a portable and the, and the word is installation? Maybe, maybe not, but just these things have to be used in the right way to make sure you get that accurate measurement okay question number nine we're talking about cost versus performance Um, what are some cost versus performance issues to consider that somebody should consider when they're purchasing a hygrometer steve
1: well i think one rule is just because it's more expensive doesn't mean it's always the best solution. We've found in in many times by asking these types of questions that the solution uh, for the best instrument for that condition may well be a less expensive one than, than the most expensive option. So adding features that uh, really aren't going to benefit don't necessarily help make it be a, a more accurate or better performing device. In some cases it can be even more complicated uh, and it makes the maintenance that much more difficult. So uh, part of it is about what really needs to be done. And we've had some people who just feel that if I get the most expensive device, I'm gonna get the best measurement. And you know, in some cases you may need all those features but there's gonna be others that aren't and we're happy to take people through those conversations. And the better solution in some cases may be one that is less expensive than the one initially uh, selected. So it's um, that cost doesn't necessarily mean just because, as we mentioned, it's more expensive will be your best solution.
0: Well, what about a different take on this question on cost versus performance? What about um, lifetime cost? Are there some considerations for a company that's going to buy a hygrometer and think about cost over time versus initial cost of the instrument?
1: Yeah, I think you know. too often people just look at that initial cost. And are there ways to maintain that device? How stable is it? Um, almost any instrument can be calibrated accurately the day it leaves the factory. But if it only lasts for a day, it's it's of little use. So it's not just about that initial cost, but how often do I need to calibrate this? And what are my calibration options? Does it always have to go to the factory? Has the manufacturer developed a technique or a method or a solution that allows maybe field calibration against a reference device? Uh, so the spending a little bit more upfront in many of these cases can actually save you money in the long run. It's just a matter of taking that conversation beyond just the initial, say, sticker price of an instrument.
0: So when, when somebody buys a hy- hygrometer, they need to understand um, these factors and these, the way these questions are designed is they kind of build on one another. So when you get to this point and talk about um, calibration and maintenance and replacement and lifetime expectations and so on, this is where cost versus performance comes into play. A, a Vaisal hygrometer might cost more than a competitor's hygrometer, um, but if you have to spend more money calibrating the competitor's hygrometer over 5 or 10 years, um, that analysis should also come into play.
1: And how long that instrument will last. So right. as much as we talk about the amount of time we've been in these industries, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for us to have instruments that are out in the field 15, 20, 25, 30 plus years. So yeah. you know, again, uh, a little bit additional cost upfront
0: can really pay off in the long run. Absolutely. Okay, that brings us to the last but not least question number ten, and that is, what should I expect from the manufacturer or distributor in some cases post sale? And Steve, what are some tips you can offer on how to how to know what what you might expect or what might you might receive post sale a hygrometer? Well, as we've I think,
1: been touching on, asking some questions in advance may help along the way. So we're not just waiting maybe until after there's a problem, but during the process of selecting an instrument, it's good to ask what is available for post-sale support. We don't want to basically just dealing with a place that once they sell it to you, their relationship ends. It may well be the case uh, buying through some low-cost provider. That's what they're going to do. And as a result of that, then they don't have the capability and the support behind it. So, is there a technical support team available? To people who can troubleshoot. How can I access them? Is there a phone number or an email address that I should have available? Because once the instrument is delivered and someone's on site, sometimes that's when you some unexpected problem comes up. Or could be a communication issue, a wiring issue, uh, and you want to have those contacts in advance you don't want to wait until there is a problem on site and then you're looking for it and i think you know we find at least with us whether you buy it directly from us which is always preferred if that's the way you want to go but if you buy it through some other company we're still the manufacturer we're still going to stand behind it and you want to check is that the case too with who you're buying it through what will they be is it the manufacturer is going to support it is it someone local and will the manufacturer still support it regardless of where it was purchased?
0: Yeah, and also you can tell how the the your purchasing process or the sales process proceeds from the company you're talking to. Did, perfect example, did the person you're talking to prompt you on these questions? And maybe, or have a discovery call about, okay, we gotta go through your application Not in every case, but in the more complex cases. And and let's go through these questions and let's ask the questions because, Steve, I think a lot of times people don't know what to ask. That's the whole purpose of this podcast. This this particular podcast is people don't know what to ask. So we're saying here's the things you should ask or should be asked by the sales rep or the engineer. Correct.
1: Yeah, again, uh, a little bit of work in advance really saves uh, a, a lot of problems down the road. I yeah. would rather sell the, the correct instrument first out the door than trying to you know, find a solution after the fact and having to then buy that product more than once because mm-hmm. uh, nobody did ask them. It's another reason we generally don't just want to, uh, if somebody asks about, do you have a product that is like this one I'm sending you information on? We don't want to just come up with a replica of that device because it may have been the wrong selection from the beginning because those questions were not asked so now what you end up with is just another product that that doesn't meet the installation requirements
0: yeah and who knows what um, if it's a new installation or a new facility and maybe it's a, a semiconductor a fab for microchips and you don't you do something wrong even on the measurement side and that project gets stalled that's big deal. So. Yeah, And frequently, the,
1: the, the cost of the right instrument is a fraction of yeah. the cost from what a bad measurement uh, would be producing in, in, in the field. Exactly. Yeah. Just as a reminder, we, we did uh, post a document. Uh, in the first half of this podcast, when we did the first five questions, we can post it again on this so you can have a reference of what these questions are as a reminder when you are dealing with some manufacturers. Uh, it's always good to have that list to work off of because there are a lot of questions and we don't want to skip over any of them.
0: Yeah, we'll post it again in the show notes. And it's it's a pretty good checklist. It just goes through each of the questions and then bullets underneath each question for things that should be discussed. So, yeah, definitely I will include that in the show notes, Steve. Well, Steve, once again, thanks for sharing your knowledge and experience with our loyal listeners to help them make a better measurement of humidity. Always enjoy getting together, chatting with you, Bruce, as we do. Looking forward to what's coming next. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And make sure you join us next time on Humidity Matters, where we're going to discuss best practices in humidity measurement. And this will build on our discussion about choosing the right hygrometer. And don't forget, when it comes to product quality and process efficiency, humidity measurement does matter.